0: The Human Rights Foundation and Arab Tyrant Manual present Inside the Saudi Phone Hacking Scandal, featuring Palestinian human rights activist Iyad al-Baghdadi and the Global Opinions Editor at The Washington Post, Karen Natia. The Arab Tyrant Manual is an independent online publishing platform focused on freedom, human rights and the fight against global authoritarianism. Recorded live at the 2019 Oslo Freedom Forum. All right, good afternoon, everybody, and uh, welcome to this session um, inside the Saudi phone hacking scandal. Um, my name is Karen Atia, and I am the Global Opinions Editor at The Washington Post. And uh, notably, uh, I sort of have a baptism by fire into a lot of the issues we will be diving into um, as many of you may know, I was Jamal Khashoggi's editor. He was uh, a Saudi journalist who was brutally assassinated in, in um, October in Istanbul. He worked with the Washington Post and was also um, good friends with uh, my uh, conversant um, Iyad al Baghdadi. And uh, I'll perhaps let Iyad introduce himself um, and then we'll jump right in.
1: Well, I mean, I see a lot of people in the room who know me very well and know me uh, as a friend. Um, I have trouble always defining what I do because some people think I'm a Mossad agent and some people think that, you know, I'm a rabble-rousing, uh, you know, kind of uh, you know, activist. Now, I own the title of activist and I often explain that as activism is not really what you do, but your attitude, and why you do it. Um, an activist like me is not supposed to be friends with someone who is steeped in uh, his position as a regime elite and someone who used to work uh, kind of as a second-hand man to uh, the intelligence chief of one of the largest uh, Arab uh, governments. Um, And that was Jamal. And uh, there are members in my team in this room who can tell you just how deeply frustrated we were with Jamal for most of his career. Um, we used to have rants after rants about this guy who almost gets it. You know, the guy who would say ten things out of you know nine out of these, you would say yes, I completely agree with you. And once he gets to ten, he walks it all back. Um, something really strange happened though when Jamal. Became an exile, and he chose uh, not to go back to Saudi Arabia for whatever reasons. Um, he started to gravitate towards us activists. Um, and you know, why he did that, etc, is really a subject of another conversation, but I tell people, I did not move towards Jamal. Jamal moved towards me. And this very, very interesting friendship developed in the last year of his life. Uh, that translated into lots of difficult conversations but also translated eventually into projects and collaborations that continued up to the moment of his death and still continue after his death Um, now a big factor in the rise of Mohammed bin salman um, and you know a lot of the 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 incidents around this involve uh, saudi hacking technology well I shouldn't call it Saudi hacking technology, but rather capability because they didn't develop the technology it was sold to them. And I guess um, um, it's always difficult to speak about someone who you knew and someone who um, you considered um, for even a moment or a few months of his life, a friend. Uh, Someone who, you know, who, who, Um, represented this idea that even someone who used to be a sympathizer of regimes of these regimes for most of his life can be won over to our side. And someone you can speak to to, about to about values and you can actually have that conversation and you could you could win him over. So it's always difficult to talk about someone like that when you know what kind of price he paid and what happened to him. Um, And, uh, you know, it's really our, our you know it's really a matter of loyalty to his legacy that a lot of this work continues
0: yeah absolutely i mean i think um, you know and and you know we are in this room speaking together because and speaking to all of you because of jamal and in, to a certain extent that is a reflection of how he was living um his life especially in the last months i mean bringing people together that you never would have thought could have been or should have been in the same room. And ultimately, in a lot of ways, that's what made him quite dangerous, yeah? Uh, in that he was helping to create networks and create solidarities uh, in regimes, people living under regimes, where specifically in some of the tools that we're about to, to chat about are used to break those connections, used to make people fearful of one another, fearful of the devices that they're carrying in their in their phones. And I, I, I find that to be, in some ways, the beautiful part um, about Jamal, um, both uh, both in life and, and, and in death. Um, and it is, uh, I agree, and anybody who's in that lunch that we just had, it is still even difficult for me to, to wrap my head around what has happened. Um, but that being said, we are here and we have to contend with this world that we are in. And it's a world that does have uh, these threats. So, maybe if we could just jump into just um, as you said, I think that's rightly so. We say a Saudi hacking scandal, but really, some of the most toxic and, and um, uh, uh, nefarious devices um, are actually sold from uh, Israel. So, and, and in that, we're talking about the NSO, in particular, the Pegasus. Software. So, I mean, yeah, maybe we can just talk about just for basically what is uh, the the Pegasus software, and in this particular context, we're going to focus on that because it's been in the news and it's related. It has it's had a role to play. We believe in Jamal's uh, death and in the hacking of the uh, of his networks. Um, So maybe if you could talk a little bit uh, more about that. Yeah,
1: sure. So uh, Saudi Arabia has several suppliers for hacking technology. And it seems that the most important uh, since 2017 seems to have been a company, an Israeli company called NSO. Um, NSO Group uh, develops the software called Pegasus, um, which is essentially uh, a piece of software that gets downloaded. Once it gets downloaded into your phone, whether it's an iPhone or an Android device, allows uh, allows whoever is watching whoever is operating the software to do anything on your phone that you can do um, which and the the real the real uh, n- really nefarious thing about the software really uh, is not the amount of co- not so much the amount of control it has but rather the fact that it's very very difficult to detect um, and if they do a good job with hacking your phone, first of all uh, the software itself masks itself as if it's part of the operating system. Um, I've been told that even if you wipe your phone, even if you do a factory reset, it does not get rid of it. Uh, and I've been told also that um, they can they can make it go away with a press of a button. In other words, they can actually delete the software so that it doesn't leave a trace. Uh, so for example, let's say that it's on my phone. And they can listen to me having a conversation with someone saying, hey, I'm about to go to the security consultant who's going to look at my phone. Um, And they're like, fine, 10 minutes before I enter the room, they can hit a button. And then once I present my phone, there's nothing on it. Um, And this is, in fact, what makes it interesting that the, the one person who was verifiably hacked, and there's some forensic evidence, happens to be a Saudi dissident who lives in Canada and who worked very closely with Jamal Khashoggi, mm-hmm. Omar Abdulaziz. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's a case where um, uh, a, group, a, security, uh, uh, a group of security consultants based in Canada called Citizen Labs who were doing great work when it comes to exposing uh, the software and also advising activists about how to protect themselves, uh, which I, I guess we'll also get into. Mm-hmm. Um, they detected a spyware spy, a spyware attack uh on someone in canada and they're the ones who went to omar and omar did not even know that something was going on with his phone they went to him and they said we, we need to look at your phone and you know uh they they caught it they um of course uh, his his phone was hacked and it's really uh, thanks to them that we have some forensic evidence uh which led eventually to a suit so a lawsuit uh, Omar through a lawyer um, is uh, suing NSO group for um you know for supplying this this weapon really it's a weapon to the Saudis uh, and it's really interesting to see the harassment not only that Omar received but also his lawyer received in the aftermath.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I want to come back to this this uh, this notion or this idea that this software is a weapon, right, is, is cyber warfare. But I mean, we are now talking about NSO and Pegasus, uh, largely, again, linked to uh, Saudi Arabia and linked to to what happened uh, to Jamal and, and those activists that were in his network. But um, according to Citizen Lab, and if you guys aren't already familiar with their work, I very highly encourage you, any of you that are interested in this, to, to go to their website and to look at the reports that they've done. But they've noted that at least six countries with significant Pegasus operations have been um, have been linked to, to the abuse of this uh, of this spyware. So, including Bahrain, uh, Kazakhstan, Mexico, another country that um, has incredible violence against journalists, Morocco, um, and the UAE. So, at, again, even though this uh, conversation we're talking about the Saudi Arabia case, it's been linked to other cases um, or other uses to target civil society um, in other countries. Um, so I mean this 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 question even about who is a target? how what is the logic behind who uh, uh, who may be on the receiving end of this sort of uh, technology? I mean, what if um for you, I mean, personally, I mean, has this uh, been coming up? Uh, have you how do you know, you know that uh, you haven't been infected? How are you protecting yourself, basically?
1: Well, I mean, in order to, to answer that question, I have to kind of add a bit of context about sure. the software. Imagine if you have this virus, which is incredibly destructive to your body, right? Um, and you know, once it's, you, it's you're infected with it, uh, you know, it's a, it's a death sentence. But then this 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 virus is very difficult to catch. You know, it, it's it's not airborne. You you can't get it through touch. You can't get it through you know through through getting a cold, etc. Uh, that reduces the risk a lot the thing with Pegasus is that Pegasus 2 which was the version of Pegasus I believe that was used against Omar Abdulaziz in 2018 um, uh, you had to click on a link so they used to send you a malicious link um, and the link looks legit so you know it might be a marketing link it might be you know a package delivery that you're expecting um, and if you click on it it actually takes you to the legitimate site, but somewhere in between, something is being downloaded into your phone without your knowledge. Um, and of course, you could, you you might think, you know what? Uh, I simply won't click on any links. Um, and that was the solution for the, for a long time. And for a long time, when we got with security consultants and was like, you know, how do we protect against this? They used to send us, you know, they're like, you know, uh, give us a list of all the messages you receive so that we can ensure that you haven't clicked on any malicious links. Um, with Pegasus three, which is the latest version of uh, of the software, um, they don't have don't they don't need you anymore to click on a link. Uh, they can do this by sending you an email with an like even if you know it's it's the the thumbnail that appears in the email. It, it, there's there's a piece of code that gets run and that's it. You're, you're infected. You don't have to even open the email. Um, they can they can give you a WhatsApp call. And it then gets downloaded to your, you don't even have to answer the WhatsApp call. They can go through the cloud. Uh, They can go through an MC catcher. They can go through, you know, Bluetooth. Uh, So they simply have increased the ability, their ability to actually get into your phone from so many different, in so many different ways. And that's what makes it so difficult to defend against it. Um, And, you know, know, what, what I learned eventually is that it's not just a matter of how to defend uh sorry it's not just a matter of how to we avoid getting hacked because it's not always possible to to say that i'm 100 percent sure that they're not going to hack me except not to have a phone and just basically have a paper notepad or something you know um which is not really feasible in you know 2019 um rather you want to increase the cost of the hack you want to make it you want to make them work very hard to get into your phone because the moment they work hard, it's more, it's more likely that they're going to, to make multiple attempts and one of those attempts, you're going to catch it. You're going to catch them in, in the act. Uh, and you know, uh, I guess Citizen Labs would be the right people to advise about specific security regimes for different professionals. Of course, I'm, I'm in touch with them. Um, but a big part of our uh, effort is really about catching them when they do it, uh, making sure that we, they know that we know
0: and and back to the the even just the economics of this, um, I believe uh, uh, the CEO of NSO was on a 60 Minutes interview um, in March, and it came out in that interview that the cost of this technology, fifty five million dollars, is how much it costs for the Saudi government to purchase this, and, by, and it's licensed, right? So basically, NSO, if I understand correctly. Once they sell their technology to uh, to an actor to a foreign agent, they claim they don't have insight into how it's used, that they they claim that they are only selling this technology to help make our world safer and to fight against crime and terrorism. I think in our conversations before this, we were talking about the costs, even of trying to protect ourselves, right? So, even for us, it means we need at least two phones, a, a hotspot, a VPN, a couple of Ubi keys. We need the latest MacBook or Chromebook, encrypted storage solutions. It's it's the economics of this places so much power in the hands of those that uh, basically can afford to, to to purchase these weapons.
1: I mean, the fact is that your adversary in this case is one of the richest countries in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's controlled by a handful of people who have absolute—they have almost unlimited Uh, resources—and you're trying to defend yourself. And a lot of activists and journalists, activists more than journalists, really have limited budgets. Mm -hmm. And as you said, it's it's expensive to you know the the kind of technology that you need to in order to protect yourself is expensive. But I should also mention that the the 55 million figure, the 55 million figure does not factor in the fact that Saudi Arabia. Uh, and the UAE had to actually get a contract with NSO to guarantee exclusivity because they don't want, for example, the Qataris or the Turks to have the same technology. So I believe they paid a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. And you're co- completely correct in this in the sense that the the, the, the Israelis uh, do not operate the software. So it's, it's not that NSO actually operates the software; they license it. So in the end, it's the Saudis who actually you know use the software in the end. And that kind of gives uh, the Israelis some kind of plausible deniability because they say you know we, we don't know what they do with the software we gave them the <laughs> software uh, we don't know what they're not supposed to use to, to use right. it for this right. but then you know
0: and actually to add to that they said in this interview uh, uh they said quote our contractual agreements have that our customers our customers sign they sign a piece of paper telling us that they're only going to use it against terrorism. And crime, so that's our protection against yeah, the, mis- the
1: fact is that these these governments have a very flexible kind of a fluid definition of what terrorism is.
0: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, so I mean, thinking about, um, and I'm I'm not sure if there's any uh, sort of governments um, or regulations uh, uh, officials in this room, um, but what is the responsibility of of these uh, software firms as far as Regulatory consequences for when a situation like Jamal's happened, when uh, his his uh, networks get compromised by this technology, ends up having adverse consequences. What is the role? I mean, if we if we were to think of these um, technologies as weapons, we at the very least have frameworks for regulating arms weapons. What have you learned, if anything at all, as far as the, the, the thinking, as, as far as how can, we, how can the world regulate this better or at least impose con- more consequences for its misuse?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, there's two ways to look at this. You could look at the, the software itself and, you know, what is it built for? What are its capacities? Mm-hmm. Or you can look at how it's being used. And I think the latter is more accurate. So you see what they're using, what they're using it for, rather than saying, you know, oh, it's just a piece of software, it's just a code. Um, the effective use of the software so far is very clearly going after dissidents, mm-hmm. uh, especially with the Saudis. Uh, the Saudis have not been disciplined in the way that they use their t- this, this this kind of technology. And, and as you can as as you know recently uh jeff bezos uh has concluded his his, his investigation team has concluded that they also hacked him um, so they have this technology they're not disciplined about using it and they're using it to target mostly dissidents uh activists journalists uh i i think it, and it's also that it's very difficult to defend against the software i think absolutely this is a weapon this should be classified as a weapon, and it should be, you know, it should really be subject to to arms exports, uh, you know, uh, licenses and laws and, you know, regulations. Um, and, but also, I think, eventually, we need to establish some kind of accountability, because when they hack someone, um, and that someone, you know, eventually is targeted, is, is, is killed, or is blackmailed, or whatever, there needs to be some kind of accountability. There seems to be some some way for that person to seek justice. And this is not the case currently.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I think in some ways it was a couple of weeks ago when we heard about the WhatsApp vulnerabilities and that was trending. Everyone said, I'm going to dump WhatsApp. WhatsApp immediately announced that it was releasing a, an update or, or a patch. Um, I also wonder, you know, about uh, whether it's Apple, whether it's uh, Android, whether it's, it's it's WhatsApp. Sort of how they are monitoring, or 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 just basically their responsibility in building platforms that protect us against these these sort of attacks, and maybe perhaps the responsibility lies there.
1: I mean, the the problem with this is that uh, the the kind of exploits that uh, the hacking Teams uh, at NSO and elsewhere use, they use something called zero-day exploits, mm-hmm. which means that the moment there's an update, um, you're protected for maybe a week or two. Because within those two weeks, they're going to be looking furiously for any kind of vulnerability uh, as soon as the update drops. So, like you know, in the period right after updating your phone, whether it's the operating system or whether it's the, you know, the the what do you say, the 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 app itself. You are protected for a little while, but then eventually they will find because they have teams of very, very smart people simply looking for exploits. Um, the The fact is the the uh, the fact is that at the moment, this is a systemic problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that there there are there are uh, you know there are smart people within the IT community who are thinking how do we defend ourselves how you know how do how do we um, how do we make sure this doesn't happen. Uh, but at the moment, I mean, at the moment, as as, as things are right now, um, it seems that the Saudis, the kind of technology they have, is kind of a hacking superweapon. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I think you know, one thing it's as a, coming from the journalist perspective, um, it means that we have to be very cautious, especially I think the 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 most risk, um, not just to ourselves, but it's to our sources. And it, it's a chilling effect, especially on sources. You know, you go into meetings and someone doesn't trust you just because you have a phone. And they know now that there's a potential that the super weapon is out there and that uh, uh, they um, your conversation may not be as secure as you thought. So it has a, a chilling effect, I think, in general, even if you're not on a target list, but a chilling effect across the board on how much people are even willing to, to speak to journalists, what they're willing to share. what and it imposes a bit more of a of a burden and a barrier. Just in general, we just have to to um, secure ourselves much more much more, especially those of us who have been involved uh, most directly most directly in this story. And I think um, as far as the the post is concerned, we've been actively taking more measures when it comes to phishing attempts, um, reporting more frequently any uh, uh, any uh, uh, suspicious behavior. Um, but I think it's 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 really a, a big question of, of when we are treating this software as weaponry, as Israel is exporting a weapon to Saudi Arabia with little accountability, little regulation around this space, um, and uh, it's basically in terms of how we protect ourselves, I personally would say in some ways we have one another <laughs> in some ways in this room, I already I've learned so much in the last two days about about uh, the software, so I mean, I think it's it's an ongoing conversation about about how to how to protect yourself. But I'm just wondering if, if there's any more that you you personally can share because you like you said you worked with Jeff Bezos, uh, not only with Jeff Bezos' team, but you worked also with Jamal and other actors on this. I mean, what sort of the what were the conversations um, being had about going forward, moving forward, and how you're going to conduct? Your work in this environment
1: now. So the conversations can get very complex because it depends upon. So you're you're absolutely right. That's part of the logic for doing this is ensuring increasing the cost of anyone getting in touch with you and working Mm -hmm. with you, because uh, most likely someone like you, for example, Karen, is reasonably safe, far safer than your potential sources who might be in Saudi Arabia or might be somewhere in the Arab world. Um, and a lot of the time, the reason why they hack you is because they want to reach your sources. So they are, we, we do have information going back to April uh, and even before April saying that they are increasing their attempts at journalists, mm-hmm. um, and especially uh, newspapers who have been, uh, you know, uh, who, who, wh- where they have an indication that this particular newspaper or media outlet or journalist has uh, privileged sources within, so they want to they want to reach your your sources. As for how we talk about this, um, to be honest, there's there's a bit of a seesaw between. Um, I mean, some people, when we say this technology is used against uh, dissidents and activists and journalists, they'll be saying, okay, fine. I'm not a journalist. I'm not an activist. I'm not you know. I'm not a dissident. I'm reasonably safe. I don't have to care about this. On the other hand, you might have a freak out where people's like, oh, WhatsApp is hacked. Mm-hmm. you know. I have to dump my phone, et cetera. So it's, it's somewhere in between that, that you have to worry, really. Uh, because eventually, anybody can be a target. I mean, think of it this way. If they cannot get into your phone, let's say there's something on your phone which is very important, right? Um, and for any, whatever reason, they couldn't get into your phone. They're still going to try to get into your wife's phone, your child's phone, your coworker's phone because they can spy on you through that.
0: I mean it's a network attack.
1: Exactly. I mean, it's a yeah. network attack. But keep in mind that you know again one of part of these conversations is like maybe they're collecting this data but what about interpretation? Because mm-hmm. the, you collect the information but you need analysts, you need people who interpret this information for you. And so far it seems to me that they're good at collecting data but they don't have the best analysts.
0: Okay. So we've got a lot of money but not a lot of competence.
1: I mean, I I prefer to use the word discipline. Sure. You know, um, I mean, I mean, you don't want to underestimate your yeah. adversary. Yeah.
0: Very true. Very true. Well, we only have a by a couple of minutes. I mean, literally two. I'm wondering if there's any question or comment from the audience that we could take. Um, uh-huh.
2: I, I am curious. I'm curious about the fact that we've uh, we've been um, introducing this as a weapon and as a as a the new web age weapon and all the all the suggested means of uh, facing it is uh, very organizational and uh, strategic but what if one <coughs> comes up with a, an idea that they pay 50 million dollars for this weapon then it sounds to me the same as a pc virus that comes and infects your pc and And there are loads of uh, 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 virus scans and virus doctors out there. So is there a way that we can organize with citizen lab or something? That we can devise something that matches the technology and we all basically participate in it. Every user would pay like $10 or $20. and, And then we can make something for $200 million that just can block them out. And gets updated regularly, like all the virus definitions with PCs. I think yeah, this
1: is a weapon. Fight it with a similar weapon.
0: It's not a bad idea.
1: Yeah, I mean, I at some point I think in the the craziness of the last month. I mean, you may you may or may not know, but on April twenty fifth, um, the Norwegian intelligence basically informed me that I've been a target of a threat from Saudi Arabia. Um, and of course, one of the main things we've been talking about is digital security. And I've been thinking, you know, what if what if a couple years from now, Pegasus is going to be kind of like that uh, software where you click and you get rid of it. You know, it's like you, you, you just... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Or or you know maybe maybe I can buy a version of Pegasus and then I I can send it to into into you know, like the bad guys phones or something like that, you know. Right. Unfortunately we're not there yet. And it's absolutely true that this, you know organizations such as Citizen Labs and organizations which are actually working with activists really really deserve our support. They're doing tremendous uh, work. Yeah.
0: Yes. And and just to follow up on that, we didn't talk as much about that. We're just talking about how people get into the phones, but it's what they do with the information that they find. And um, I think there was a case in Rwanda, actually, not necessarily linked to Pegasus or or NSO, but um, two years ago, a a challenger, a female challenger who decided to run against Paul Kagame for the president of Rwanda had her phone hacked and um, new doctored pictures leaked in order to discredit her. So it's also about how information is used and doctored in this era of also deep fakes, and that we're just entering into uncharted territory. So, with that, I think that's all we have for today. Thank you guys so much for coming and making this room look full. Um, I'm sure we're here for more questions and conversations, but um, thank you so much, yeah, Thank you so much. Thank for you, thank you, guys. Sitting down.
3: This episode, like several of our recent ones, was recorded at and in partnership with the Oslo Freedom Forum, which is a transformative global human rights conference. You can learn more by visiting Human Rights Foundation's website, hrf.org. To learn more about the topics discussed, visit arabtyrantmanual.com. We have articles exploring Pegasus, Saudi Arabia's usage of spyware targeting dissidents, and the attack on Jeff Bezos. Do also check out the work of our friends at Citizen Labs. A lot of our time and resources have been taken up by these investigations in the past year. We continue to actively research authoritarian regimes' targeting of dissidents with technology, as well as working with activists to train them on digital security. You can support us to do more by going to patreon.com slash The Arab Tyrant Manual podcast is a project of Kowakibi Foundation.
1: يا مصطفى يا كتابا من كل قلب تألف ويا زمانا سيأتي يمحو الزمان المزيم يا مصطفى يا كتابا من كل قلب تألف ويا زمانا سيأتي يمحو الزمان المزيم